This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am joined across the way by Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Oh, Paul, here we go, man. Let's, I, I can't wait to chop it up. This is the best time of year, baby, right? Like the rankings are in, they're in pencil. They're not quite in pen. We're all still kind of, you know, kind of looking at the film and rolling back and forth. But this is the opportunity for us to get opinions that our listeners haven't heard. Maybe they've heard of the people talking to us this evening, but they don't know, you know, they've heard enough of us. It's now it's time to bring in other people's ideas, let them unpack these players, give us insight and help us build and grow. And Paul, I cannot wait for the gentleman that's joining us this evening. Not only is he one of the people that I've talked to so many times off the air and somebody that I can honestly say that we have a friendship with and I've talked to him so much. I, I just can't wait to, to kind of unpack some of the wide receiver position with this gentleman tonight, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. And as Matt said, this is the time of the year that we bring on guests. Last week, Mark Schofield on the quarterbacks. And tonight, we are privileged to be joined by, you know him as Angelo underscore FF, Mr. Angelo Fantasy. Welcome to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Man, it's been a long time coming. I'm, I'm really, really excited to be here and chop it up with you guys. Um, I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's, it's going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to this for a long time. Absolutely. So let's get let's get right into this wide receiver position because, you know, this could be a five-hour show. There's so many wide receivers to talk about. So, like, so let's jump right into it. Overview of the class. Is it as special of a class as it seems to be? The consensus seems to be we got three guys, Warren top 10. We got – you know, maybe five to seven in round one. I heard today Mel Kuyper say he's got 36 draftable grades in the first five rounds. Like, it's a staggering number of high-level prospects. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, I, I do. I think there's a lot of really interesting, intriguing playmakers that are going to be on the board in the first three rounds. Um, I think, in particular, we have a few uh actually maybe four or five, even six really high-end um, wide receiver ones of an NFL offense and a couple of guys that I think could be, you know, future all pros. Just like the last year's class, I think it's a little, it's it's deep, but this this year's class is a little more unique because there's a lot of smaller guys. And the NFL, like we've talked about a ton, Matt, is the NFL is becoming more of this positionless playmaker um, size doesn't matter as much. Even look at linebacker. Like, you know, you have guys like Darius Leonard saying, man, I'm playing the 220s now. And traditionally in the, you know, the 2010s in that era, you got guys like Brian Erlacher. You have guys playing 240s, 250s, you know, and now you have guys flying around the field. So the game is ever changing and it, it's definitely evolving into a, a game of, uh, you know, more of a movers mentality. So it, I think we're seeing with this class in particular, we have a lot of guys, like I said, really unique skill sets that can translate to today's game um, and guys that can, you know, some guys that can win on all three levels. And we have guys who are like guys like Elijah Moore who profile as a prolific slot receiver. So it's a really interesting class to break down. And I'm really excited for draft day to kind of kind of see how it all airs out. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be exciting to see how this kind of unfolds. So so let's start with what appears to be the the consensus big three. It almost seems to be like a tier within it's a tier in terms of guys who are warrant of going in round one. Kind of take us through your thoughts on Chase Waddle, Devonta Smith. Who of that group is there? One from that trio that stands out above the other two. Are you in any way concerned, like some on Twitter, not here Saturday to Sunday? Do you care about Devonta Smith's weight? And Jalen Waddle, do you believe the, the Tyreek Hill comparisons are, are fair and are due just for Jalen Waddle? So just maybe take us through your thoughts on, the, on that big three in terms of who you like the most. Are you concerned about Devonta Smith and the weight and the BMI and all that other nonsense that some people really harp in on? And, and Jalen Waddle, is he a specialist, some people think, in terms of the Tyreek Hill mode? That's, a, that's great. Uh, I think we'll, we'll start with Devonta Smith. I think for me, he's the most NFL-ready wide receiver in this class. I don't think it's all that close. Him and I think Rashad Bateman are probably the two most NFL-ready guys uh, here in 2021. He's, Devonta Smith, to me, is like Allen Iverson was in the early 2000s of NBA basketball, where he's kind of this one-of-a-kind unicorn. You know, you look up, and he's putting 38 on the board, and you have no idea how he did it. That's kind of what we have from Devonta Smith. He's one of these guys that has such a litany of releases. He has such a broad toolbox down the field and so many ways to beat you that don't include his size. And that's kind of the different thing, right? Allen Iverson was the same way. He used his size to his advantage, you know, getting in the paint, getting in small creases amongst, amongst the tall trees down there, right, and finishing. Devonta Smith's that same way. If you watch him kind of climb back downhill, um, and attack the football. He he has some things, you know, as a mover that you can't do if you're 210 pounds, right? You physically cannot, uh, especially decelerating. That that's one of his biggest attributes is he's able to get in and out of his breaks and not miss a beat with this calm, effortless type of movement signature that he has and displays. He's a very interesting prospect in that regard, where he can win at all three levels. He plays X. He plays Z. He's in the slot. You know, you can motion manjet touches you can get him the ball in the screen game he's really efficient there but he's a guy the nfl offensive coordinator is going to want to get the ball to and want to get the ball to frequently this is a changing era where we have guys like stefan diggs antonio brown a couple years ago when he was in his heyday of guys who don't look like you know calvin johnson you know we have those guys who don't look like terrell owens who are who are guys who are the alphas of an nfl offense and you know the I guess the primary option um, in a passing game. So I think that's what he is. I mean, he, to me, I have all the respect in the world for what he did and to kind of go off, you know, are we worried about the size? No, we shouldn't be because Matthew Rhea, he's Dr. Matthew Rhea is, was hired in, I think it was April of 2020. Um, he's one of the most, like I, I would say intuitive um, leaders in sports science. He's the one kind of making these calls and leading these guys through what they're doing nutrition wise, how they're, you know, how they're, you know, constructing their workouts. What are we doing on the field of play GPS wise? What do we see from them body type? You know, how do we change things to optimize performance? So when we look at things like that, it's like, you know, you, you go to a tax account because you want your taxes done right. 
this is the guy who's making the decisions that, hey, he's okay at 170. His optimal playing weight is right around 170. We're not, we're not making him 185 pounds. He's dominating the best cornerbacks in the nation, you know, <laughs> four or five star recruits at 170 pounds. He probably plays closer to 167 if I, was, if I were to guess. But that is okay because that is optimal. That is optimal for Devonta Smith. And if it's okay for Dr. Matthew Rhea, it is okay for me. You know, a guy like that who's making these calls and these decisions, you know, and we're, you know, we're sitting here as bystanders and we're talking about this. And I'm looking at the guy who's making those decisions, right? I'm looking at the guy, you know, that's his job, right? It's just like someone saying, yeah, I can do, I can do your taxes. No, I'm giving it to my, I'm giving it to my accountant because he knows, you know, he knows to do those numbers, right? Same thing, right? We're listening to the guys who are paid well, are smart, and are the at the best at their craft telling us, do not worry, this guy is going to ball out on Sundays because this is what optimal looks like for this player. So, I mean, you know, one word that I, I really love there, and to tease off the last word that you said, which was optimal, I think that's a very underutilized word. In fact, it's it's one of the words which is really kind of, I know it's long time in the making, but I've been working on this for several years. That the spine of of the the type of valuation system I'm working on is birth is based on optimization, and optimization really is a word that I don't think we use enough of because optimal doesn't necessarily mean the picture perfect example of what we stereotypically fit a particular player to look like or feel like on the field. It means that the player has the capacity to utilize their respective tools to the best of their ability to take advantage of the opportunities on the field the best that they can. It's almost like, like you said, their movement signature. And to talk to you about Devonta Smith, we've had many conversations about him. And one of the things that I think from a, a problem-solving standpoint is he has extremely quickness of wit resolution, that rapidity of successive movement that we attribute to the flow, the harmonious kind of easy, smooth mover, the types of words we use there. There is absolutely ownership of his movement. He has complete and utter ownership and control within the various stages of his movement. There's never a place where you can see him hesitant or devout of a solution. And he's very economical in terms of the way he utilizes you know, his body, in terms of the types of solutions that he chooses, how quickly he chooses them. He's one of the most, I think, quickness of resolution and wit and uh, rapidity of success of movement, economy, those were the words that came to mind when I watched him. It had nothing to do with his weight. He moved right. optimally for himself. Right. And optimal should be exactly what we want. We should want guys that find optimal solutions, which to your point and to what I, I wholeheartedly agree with, optimal means that you are maximizing your own physical attributes underneath the you know, circumstances that you're playing in and that that's how sensitive you are. And I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think Devonta Smith is right there at the very tippy top of this list. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think it's, he's a very, he's a kind of a unicorn since we've, we've never really had a guy like him coming into the NFL, a guy with his type of success at his, with his body type, with the long arms, the lean frame, you know, the, the gazelle like effortless, you know, that's what he is, and we have to appreciate it while it's here. Um, but man, he 
he's just he's a fun player to watch and i just i really admire his game and his craft and how he's able to be so efficient so economical like you stated and do it every play yeah. and that's the thing is he does it in, in an array of different ways as well he's as a punt returner as a gunner blocking for jalen waddle for crying out loud too i mean we're talking about a guy who is a football player and we sometimes pigeonhole guys into being a quote-unquote football player by weight, size, stature. And I truly think that Devonta Smith is a player like Allen Iverson that can transcend that in general. And the way we look at and evaluate players, not based on height, weight, but based on the underpinnings of what human movement is and the game that's evolving into a complete chess match. This isn't the 1990s of smash mouth football, right? This is not a, a gap, B gap. You just run up the gut 30 times and hope you come out, come out on top, right? Oh man, we, we have some really intuitive intellectual individuals um, making decisions at a high level here who are offensive coordinators who are kind of transcending that in general. So uh, I'm excited about him. And then, Paul, you said uh, Jalen Waddle is another interesting name, his teammate. It, when you watch Waddle play, he just jumps off the screen at you, right? It, it's, it is the, it's the play speed. It's the ability to, to win every rep you see him deep. There's no, there's no corner that's going to be able to hang with him. And the thing that stuck out to me was him in the slot running cross-field patterns. Unstoppable. Man-to-man coverage, no chance anyone has a, even an opportunity to get close to him. But the question that I always have with a guy like Waddle is he's so he's a great power returner too, best since Devin Hester, in my opinion. Is he going to get the target share that he should get in the NFL offense? And is he going to develop a much fuller, broader route tree? And that's the questions with with a guy like Waddle is, you know, people love Waddle. I mean, I love Waddle, but when we look at Waddle versus a guy like Smith, it's not really a contest of who's better smith is the better player the wide receiver better at the position with the ball in their hands then you can have a debate well that you know what not to cut you off but that's exactly it i was gonna say i i feel like waddle belongs in that probably the best with the ball in his hand maybe of any position in this right. class 100 percent. yeah i'm sorry i mean please no, keep going God, God, saying, but, no, no, but that no. was just something that just like it just spoke to me right there no, for sure. No, I, that's a great point. I mean, I think that's what that's where you see him become special, right? And that's he is a special, I don't say it often, a special player with the ball in his hands. And he's going to be one of those guys who is a positionless playmaker. He's going to be a guy who, you know, he, he Sarkeesian line up in the backfield for crying out loud. He's going to be a guy who's a mismatch nightmare. You're going to get in the ball in space and let him go. He's not your traditional X receiver. He's going to be lined up against the best, you know, the team's best cornerback and asked to win 20 reps on the field of play. It's not him. But he's going to be given the opportunity to, to take advantage of mismatches, similar to the way Deshaun Jackson was earlier in his career in Philadelphia. Uh, same thing. There's not really a match for his type of speed and accelerative qualities. And on top of that, the, the high-end, top-shelf movement tools that he has – you know, I mean, it's just, and on top of that too, it's it's a contested catch stuff. I mean, that's the like that's where he really does a good job of adjusting to, you know, to balls that are underflown, underthrown in flight. Um, Mac Jones is really funny watching Mac Jones throw him the football and Devonta Smith so many underthrown balls. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to get out in front of these dudes, right? Devonta Smith, they don't we don't credit Devonta Smith for being as fast as he is. He's a sub 10, 700 meter guy. I mean, Jalen Waddle, if he would have ran the 40, would have been in the four twos. 
So, I mean, it, you know, it's funny watching, you know, like Mac Jones chuck it up. I'm like, oh, this here it goes. It's me, it's me another duck because Jalen Wiles have to come back and grab it, and he does. And so, do I think he can be Tyree Kill? No, there is no, there's never going to be another Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill is an Olympic caliber sprinter. If you look at, he's ran under 10 seconds in the 100 meters, even though it's one dated. Jalen Waddle ran 1084. Like Jalen Waddle is a very fast, fast dude for a football player, but he's not Tyreek Hill. Um, he doesn't need to be to be a successful NFL player either. So, I mean, I like both these guys. I think if you're talking about fantasy upside, it, Devonta Smith is the guy who might command 140 plus targets in an NFL offense. Jalen Wilde is going to be one of those guys who's a little capped because of where he'll be used on the field. He's he's a more of a threat in the third and first level of a defense. Um, on that second level, I don't think we'll have enough consistency for him to have, you know, that alpha type target share, quote unquote. What I what I really find interesting, and we brought it up with Devonta Smith, is we finally, after so long, have gotten past the size and frame bias at the quarterback position, right? It took right. a long time, long time. Coming, long time coming. And then we finally broke through whether, you know, way back when it was Doug Flutie and then it was Russell Wilson and then it was Kyler Murray and then even Baker and like, you know, like in, in, you know, Baker was before Kyler, but we finally got past that. And now it's like, we bring it up now for like a guy as talented as Devonta Smith. And it's just like, I thought we were kind of past that to just evaluate him as football players. Right, yeah. And you know, and listen, we don't, we don't talk much O-line on here, but it's the same thing. Like every single time leading into the draft, all you hear about is arm lengths for, for offensive linemen. He can't play tackle. He's got to play guard, even though he's, he's played tackle his whole life and he's dominated. They're still going to move him to guard probably because of his arm length. Like, and I, I and I get, I get it in some respect, but at the same time, it's, you brought it up. Like there's, outliers right like i i think marvin harrison is the best comp we can come up with for devonta smith but even that it's not a clean comp it's not a perfect comp you know because devonta smith's body type is just is just different like that that right. like gazelle that you described him as before so it, it's it's amazing that we're still here in ter- in terms of talking about things uh, in terms of size as like almost like a trait and a characteristic in terms of whether or not somebody can be good or not good. It's, it's fascinating, yeah, man. I saw you chop it up a bit there and you want to jump into something. Oh no, no, no. I, I just wanted to say, I think what was really interesting about what you had said there was like, I think in terms of talking about, you know, after the catch, I mean, I would even go as far as to say this, and this is, this is blasphemy. I, I have a tendency to do this on this show. People will get upset with this. I, I, I might argue for everybody who wants Tyree kill, I think Jalen Waddle is better after the catch. Now that's crazy. Now, but I, I would wonder in the open field, in terms of movement skill and tight spaces across the board, I, I the toolbox of of Waddle is very not to yeah. Jalen Waddle. I apologize. Uh, Waddle is very deep. It's broad, and yeah. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I, I've seen enough Tyree Kill film where he goes a little bit sensory blind in the open field, where he all of a sudden there's trailing defenders things that he's not picking up on because he's just so gosh darn fast that in his mind, there's no reason for him to sensory pick up anything because, well, I got everybody on the field beat. Like you said, I, I, I look at what I can run under yard dash in. I mean, nobody's catching me, but when we do that, it's almost like we're riding with the blinders on and we're on the highway and we didn't see that car pulling into our lane. You know, we, it just, it just happens. I think Waddle is extremely aware Mm-hmm. of what's going on. And it's been since high school, 
since high school, that was his calling card. Almost hyper gotten, aware. Yeah. yeah and, and, and it's only gotten better. So to your point about the punt returner and everything that he can bring to a team, I'm getting excited if I get Jalen Waddle. He's 100%. a great football player. He's a phenomenal piece to an NFL offense. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing is he is going to be an absolute weapon. Yes. And the threat of Waddle might even surpass Waddle himself. And, and that <laughs> is the crazy part is that you, you have a guy like that in the field of play and you have to know where he's at at all times. Like you have to game plan for him. He's going to give defensive coordinators nightmares because he's going to be lined up everywhere. You're going to try to utilize him as much as you can. Um, and just as much as a decoy as you are, you know, using him and getting the ball in his hands. And that's a good football player. For fantasy, if we're talking about fantasy, it's gonna be frustrating. I think that's it, it's gonna be frustrating. It's gonna be Deshaun Jackson. He could go for four for two hundred and two. The next game, go for one for you know for twenty six on four targets. Right, that could very well be his career arc. But man, he's gonna be fun to watch with the ball in his hands, and he's one of those guys that you know when he plays, I'm circling the I'm circling the calendar. Right, and that Popcorn, that, baby. that is it. exactly you. You just. No, you what's it now? You put you know freaking easy pop, whatever it is. That's right. Um, you put that right. in the microwave, man. And you you just let it roll. You just get that thing when Jalen Waddles returning the punt. But just like Devin Hester, man, I'm a I'm a Chicago kid, born and raised, right? We're from the suburbs here. Every time Devin Hester returned a punt or a kick, everything in Chicago stopped. If you were at Soldier Field when Devin Hester was returning a punt or a kick, dead silence. That's the type of player that Jalen Waddle is with the ball in his hands. He's gonna make us he's gonna make us dead silent, just in awe of what that man can do with the ball in his hands. And I'm extremely excited uh to watch what he can do on the NFL field. I hope he goes, I hope he falls the LA Chargers at, at 13. That's kind of my wish. Um I I don't think he goes that far down. Uh I think the Lions at sevens of I don't know if it's a fit, but you know, I think it's gonna be something where they need a playmaker. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for him. And then, um, we'll roll right into Jamar chase. I think chase has, he has a ton of physical tools that you love to see from an alpha wide receiver. You know, your primary outside guy who's going to be winning against the best corner. Uh, the physicality sticks out. I mean, he loves the, you know, he is a hand fighter. He loves to, you know, get in your face. You know, he likes to body punch, body, punch. that adds him, man. He likes to just throw hands in the line of scrimmage. Um, He's not as nuanced as some of these other guys. He doesn't have a lot of technical, tactical awareness or, or skill set in that capacity. Uh, but he wins the, you know, he wins in contested catches, and he's a true alpha at the catch point. Um, but he's going to be a guy who wins after the catch, who wins at the catch point. But right now, that's really kind of it. You know, he doesn't have a lot of, um, I would say, there's not, not a broad. You know, it's not a broad toolbox to his game right now, especially, at, you know, from a release package standpoint um, and from a route tree too. not as diverse as some of these guys, which is what makes him really intriguing because he has a super high ceiling. You know, we might see a developmental arc similar to that of Devontae Adams, where it took it took Adams a while, man. It, t- it took him a minute to develop in the receiver he is today. And you can make an argument that Devontae Adams is the best receiver in the NFL, right? You can make that argument now that Julio Jones is up there in age. But man, I mean... People are, I don't think people are truly understanding that Chase is not going to come to the NFL, in my opinion, and dominate like his teammate Justin Jefferson did. He's not that NFL ready 
right? He, and think of it like this too. He missed a year of college football, right? He missed a year of on-field development. That kind of hurts when you're night. The last time you stepped in the field, you were 19 years old. Um, but I think giving him time to develop and grow um, into that number one option in offense is going to be best because I think he has the sky is the limit for him. I think he might be him and Waddle might be the two highest ceiling guys in this class um, amongst a couple others. Terrace Marshall comes to mind too. I think he he could develop into a fantastic number one option in offense. But man, I mean J- Jamar Chase for me is he he's a phenomenal player, but he's going to need some time to learn and grow. Oh, you mentioned my heartthrob right there. My, oh, my heart, Marshall? My heart, yeah. My heart's beating out of my chest on that one. You talk about somebody that could hit the ceiling over there. I mean, I just went through the ceiling. So there well, you go. I mean, yeah. No, I – you know what? Let me let me ask you something about Jamar Chase because I, I, I have a question. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it, and I think that this is somewhere where we we may – to your point, maybe we maybe we outweigh certain types of problems they solve over others. <laughs> That intensity, that ability to win in tight physical coverage, that ability to really do an exceptional job timing their ability and creating that window, he he just excels in those areas. Do you think? And I, I mean, I have obviously my own opinions. We're not sure. here to discuss the theory of wide oh, receivers, but sure. but we I know we talk about this stuff all the time. So just to, get, to tell listeners what we nerd out about, do you think we're in a in a world still where we? kind of overvalue the the kind of idea of a contested catch i do actually because the game isn't the game isn't one on the outside anymore if that makes sense like it used to be very much your outside receiver was your dominant target of an offense and that's that's the way it just was right you know you in the era of like plaxical burris like those type of tall tree receivers and that's how they want right there wasn't a ton of technical tactical nuance that didn't need to be but now there does with the way defenses are you know being schemed up the, the way that offensive corners are moving you know players around and getting the ball in their hands but i think we do overvalue um the flash and the flare the physical because it, it's much more of a chess match than it was 15 years ago especially at the receiver receiver versus DB in particular, it's, you don't have those, you know, you don't have those Daryl Revis's anymore, right? You have two players in the league. I think that really do a good job of shutting down um, wide receivers. And that's Jalen Ramsey and um, Tredavious white. I think those are the two guys for me that come to mind that are just true shutdown corners. You can argue like Jair Alexander and a couple others. Um, but I think for me, it's, yeah, I think it's a bit overvalued. I think it's a needed skill set. I do, but it also might be overvalued with how much that matters now with the game being played so I mean all over the field in comparison to where it was 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so fascinating to have this conversation and really just chop it up in terms of the position and how much it's evolved and and how and how different it is right now like and, and you mentioned right at the top of the show like this draft class has so many smaller guys right and and why don't we, why don't we take it there and then we'll definitely circle back because i want to bring up terrace marshall sure, that's sure. heartthrob i want to bring up rashad bateman you mentioned him before but um, but let's let's kind of group together some of these other smaller guys and and maybe you pick out if is there one or two that kind of stand above the, the the rest for you you know obviously we've already talked about Jalen waddle but we have rondell moore we have 
uh, Elijah Moore. You know, those are two guys that, that are being talked about a lot. You know, on top of that, we also have Tutu Atwell. I think those are the guys that are probably in the next tier uh, in terms of guys that I think are legitimate, going to be early second in the mix to be late round one to mm-hmm. mid round two type prospects. Pound you know, the desk for a mom run rock. There's some other guys. There's some other guys too that you know that on the smaller side, like you know smaller school guys like Kay Johnson from South Dakota State. Or if we go a little bit further down, but but Tutu Atwell, Elijah Moore, and Ronda Moore, and we'll broke there is Tony in the mix there too. Just so you know, he he's in this conversation as well. Those four guys, I mean, they're they're very highly regarded. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. Daniel Jeremiah has two two Atwells, like a borderline first round pick. Like Mel Kuyper just had him in his, his first round mock. And I, and I like two two Atwell, but I thought he was more of like, okay, you get that that explosive speed guy. He's a third round guy, add some tactical value more to the offense, you know, like than than what he's gonna produce, but he's just that guy who can change defenses schematically and change your offense a little bit. But these guys seem to be getting pushed up the board more higher than ever because teams want that speed and explosive element. Where are you with those, with these guys? Is there any of anybody from that group that you really like, you know, one or two guys more than the rest? I think in terms of just functionality of the player, I think Elijah Moore is the one that sticks out. I think he's going to be an absolute weapon in the slot. Uh, I think he, you know, you can run any, you know, box fade. You can run any any route that you primarily run with your primary slot receiver with him. Short areas you can give to him down the field. He has a speed to beat you deep. Um, great at tracking the football. He's a he's a good football player. I mean, that's what he is. He has the athletic capabilities to you know to be a home run threat whenever he touches the ball as well. So he's a guy I love. I love Elijah Moore's ability to change the game on any play. Rondell Moore. It's another interesting one because he is he is more of the LaVisca Chenault of this class. That's who I like. He's a mini LaVisca. He is going to be a guy that you just want to get the ball in his hands. That's it. Just get the ball in his hands. I don't care how you do it. Get in his hands. I mean, LaVisca was taking snaps out of Wildcat this year, out of the backfield. But as the season developed, LaVisca Chenault Jr. developed into a pretty decent NFL wide receiver, especially as a movement Z. I see Rondell Moore in that same vein. I think Rondell Moore is going to be that movement Z, but you're going to put him in the backfield sometimes. You shouldn't get him the ball and just say, go do your thing. Because he's a unique, unique player with his physical stature, his play strength, physicality, you know, his ability to win with speed, to win with power. Um, but after the catch is where he shines, right? I think that's the biggest thing is you want to just get the ball in his hands. And then another name we didn't mention, another name I like, I think in terms of functionality, like I said before, Amari Rogers. I think NFL offenses are going to absolutely love Amari Rogers. Uh, I think it's because he does everything well, especially at the slot receiver position. He does everything well, very much like a Golden Tate type player. Um, where he's going to do everything well, he's going to be a, a long career type guy uh, who is a very you know productive NFL slot receiver. We mentioned guys like Kadarius Tony. Tony's to me is like a three Cohen. He is a very jitterbuggy, you know, absolute you know human joystick type player with his. I mean, just absolute, just the most dramatic mover you could possibly think of, and it, it's fun to watch him play. I don't know how functional he'll be on NFL field. I think he's more fun than anything. 
Um, he'll really have to develop more of a nuance and a tactical awareness of the game of football and how to win in a variety of different ways. He was, he just won because he was quicker than everybody, right? He, you know, he, he's quicker than the guy across from him. And, you know, the defensive back saw things with him that he never saw with anyone else. Cause he's a very interesting mover. If you watch him play um, so much, nothing pre-planned, just so much snap, so much, like, like I said before, human joystick type player, but he's going to be a guy who's going to be, have to be scheme touches. He can't win on an Island by himself, but I don't think he's going to be, he's going to be asked to be early on in his career. Um, but he's going to have to develop that, you know, that skill set. And then a couple others that I, th- I think are interesting, Jalen Darden. I think he's a smaller, you know, North Texas, smaller school guy. Um, I like him as a primary slot receiver in the NFL. I think he's going to slip in draft because he is 5'7", weighted in 174 pounds a day. So a little on the slider side, but I think he can, he can ball, man. He can play. Um, but, yeah, I like some of these guys. It, it's just hard to see where they fit besides Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore and, and then Amari Rodgers are kind of those three that I like. I like Tutu as well, but I don't think he's a first-round pick. Like, I, I would, you know, if he's a first-round pick, then what's Tylen Wallace? You know what I mean? Like, like, like there to me, those are in different classes of players. Um, but I'm not making those decisions. And Mel Kuyper and Daniel Jeremiah probably know much better than me. But I, I like Tutu, but I – think there's better weapons at the position that you can probably draft in the second or third round. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't I have a hard time seeing, you know, top forty pick for him. I, I really do. Like to me, you know, I have Elijah Moore ahead of him. I have Amon Ross St. Brown. I have Tylen Wallace. Like, you know, to me, he's much more in the conversation of where you know, Dwayne Eskridge should be going, Kate Johnson. Like, you know, he's more in that group for me as a third round type guy than he is as a guy who should be in the mix late round one to right. early to mid round two. So to me, there's, to me, there's a big gap between, uh, you know, where the media kind of has him and in terms of what I see. And I like him. He's an explosive player. But in terms of how many great wide receivers there are in this class, it's really hard to see him going ahead of guys that you've talked about. Like, you know, if he goes ahead of guys like Rondell Moore, like Elijah Moore, like I I just think – I think we're – I think it's – I think that's a mistake. Like I think we're – you know, we're we're pigeonholing, yes, that that one dynamic, that speed component – but those guys are pretty fast in their own right. And I just think they're way more complete guys. You can do more with them. They can bring more uniqueness to their offense. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, they're not pulling that from thin air. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's necessarily their take, but I, yeah, but they have, but yeah. they have the pulse, like, especially Mel Kuyper. You know, Mel Kuyper doesn't, doesn't evaluate like he used to 20, 30 years ago. No, a lot of what Mel Kuyper says now, I think is a lot more of what he's hearing to impact how he kind of has guys ranked. Daniel Jeremiah, I think, does his own, own research and, 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 and evaluations. And then, I think it's human nature to bake in what he's hearing a little bit into it, but I think Kuiper very much bakes into his rankings, what he's hearing. So to me, it, it kind of sounds like Tutu's going high the way that, oh, you know, yeah. kind of, the way that Mel's kind of baking him into his latest mock draft and stuff. So it's going to be really fascinating to kind of see. Uh, I think, I think that could be a, a real surprise, you know, and we'll use that as the, the kind of the, the, transition point 
like Tutu Atwell is going to go ahead of Rashad Bateman, and and that's just that's just blasphemy. This is going to be, I don't know on the level, but this is going to be how the whole league regretted passing on Michael Thomas and letting Michael Thomas fall in the second round. I kind of feel like we're on our way. The same way people got mad about how passing on Keenan Allen because they got you know they they dropped the forty, yeah. 40 times. I feel like Rashad Bateman is is on the trajectory of teams being really mad that they let him fall similar to Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen. No, I agree with you because I, I think it was a Kuiper mock that had Kadarius Tony and Tutu Atwell going before Rashad Bateman. I almost lost my mind <laughs> and Kadarius Tony went to the bears at 20 in the mock. And I, I just almost threw my computer out the window because as a bears fan, I would, I mean, I could see it happening because we could talk about Ryan pace till the cows come home. Um, but it could happen. I mean, it, mistakes are made very often in player evaluation. Um, well, you, you but know go ahead. I, no, no. I, I think those are great points. And I, and I think the one thing I would add is, like, when you watch Tutu Atwell, the, the thing that jumps off the page is he's got a lot of fast feet. The feet are always pumping. But they're not, again, going back to if we think about him – you know, kind of solving the variety of problems he's seeing on the field. He's looking to solve with the body punch every time. He's using his speed a lot of times to break down yeah. angles. And that may work in college. But when you get into tight spaces with him, I see him being taken out by little like errant tackles, arm tackles. Now I'm not saying that I'm not saying that he goes down easily. I'm just saying though that those are not the types of tackles that are taking down Rondale Moore. No. Those are not the types of situations that <laughs> Your Amon Rob St. Brown is finding himself in and going down. It's the same thing with Tylen Wallace. You know, I, 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 that's not to sandbag like we said to, to Atwell, but I do think to Paul's point, and it was a great point, we're getting a little bit like must find the next fast guy. And, yes. there's, and I don't understand why we're just not looking for the most skillful player at the position. Yeah. Why is that not the, why is that not what we're looking for? Because we can explain. 7,000 ways from Sunday, an approximation of what we're looking for. And it all seems to be pointing to we just want the fastest guy or the tallest or biggest guy. And to Paul's point earlier and to your point, are we really taking steps forward then in evaluating this position? I don't know if we are. Right. I think a lot of times we, we like it easy. Like we, we, we like to evaluate yeah. off of height, weight, speed. We like to check those boxes before anything else, which I think is – in today's era is wrong because there is so much more to unpack with some of these guys. Like there's some people who are, you know, I love, I think Seth Williams can be a dang good player, but some people are really high on him and higher on him than they are a guy like Rashad Bateman or a guy like Devonta Smith. And yeah, Seth Williams ran 10, six, seven, hundred in high school. And that's great. I think it's, you know, as a track guy myself, that's pretty fast for, you know, six, three, two, ten. but there's a lot to players that we need to understand. And from a movement standpoint, we have to understand the efficacy of what they're doing on the field of play and how it aligns with what offensive coordinators want to do. How do they fit into this like X team's plans? And that's the thing is there's few players in this class that will fit with all 32 teams. Two of them are Rashad Bateman and Devonta Smith. Rashad Bateman is a very good receiver. I don't think he has anything great or at a super, super high level. Um, but if he does anything at a high level, it's just he is going to be in the right place at the right time. He's going to be a reliable option for about a decade. 
that's who he is. But he's not sexy. He's not flashy. You know, and that's what people want because the crown jewel of the NFL right now, even though they lost the Super Bowl, is the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody wants to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody wants Patrick Mahomes' arm. Everybody wants Tyree Kill's speed and Andy Reid's mind. Can't have it. But we're going to try to attain it. John Gruden tried and took Henry Ruggs at, what, eight? Over C.D. Lamb? Are you kidding me? I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're doing now, is we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, and we're going to lose that battle. If you take Tutu Atwell, and you take Kadarius Toney over Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, those type of guys, that's fighting a losing battle because those players will never be a primary option of an NFL offense, in my opinion. But guys like Bateman will be. I think he is a very good player. I don't think he has the ceiling some people think he has. I think he's just very good in all respects. The catch point, he's good. He's good off, he's good off the line. Uh, he has a couple things he has to work out in terms of a hitch step, but he's a solid player. And then, you know, Matt, your guy, Terrace Marshall, if, if you told me you would take Terrace Marshall, and I would take him over Kadarius Tony and Tutu Atwell. That's the I guy I, I take. I, I have, I love Terrence Marshall. The, 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 that's the guy. Is that I, uncomfortable for everybody? No, <laughs> no, was like, was, no, sorry. Sorry. Awkwardness there. No, yeah, no, no, I, I, I love Terrence Marshall. Is. Yeah, no, okay. he's, he's great. No, he, he, the thing is for me, he's so for me, Terrace Marshall is my, let me take a look and see if my grading system I have. He's your number two wide receiver. I think he's, <laughs> he's no. So right now, Terrace Marshall on film is my number three receiver. Yeah. It goes Devonta Smith in terms of film only. So I, I have a grading system. We won't get into it, but it's 70% film, 30% analytics. So for the film grading portion of it, Devonta Smith is first. Jamar Chase is second. Tear break. Then it goes Marshall, and then Jalen Waddle, and then the rest of the class. Amon Ross St. Brown is up there. Tylen Wallace is right behind Marshall, and then we have a litany of guys kind of in that same you know in that same vein of very good NFL players. But the point stands: Terrace Marshall isn't a guy that we should be you know overlooking. He could be a high, high, high end NFL wide receiver if he figures it out. Would I would I waste a first round draft pack a uh, first round draft capital on him? Probably not, but I would trade up in the second round to get him. Uh, I think there's a lot safer options. I think Rashad Bateman's a safer option. I think you know, obviously you know Smith's a safer option. Waddle's going to go early, but if you're talking about that tier of guys, Tony Atwell, Marshall Wallace, I'm thinking Marshall and Wallace before I'm taking any of those guys. I mean, I like Tyron Wallace a ton too. I, I'm my great system. He graded out the third, the third he's most. Still good, right? Though, Dude, like, isn't he? Isn't he phenomenal. unbelievable? He's in, he's one of those guys you have to go back and watch, and say how did he? How did he do that? Like he's a how you do that wide receiver, and that's and that's what he is. He he lines up on the right side of the field. That's what he is. That's kind of his domain. He doesn't move around a ton. Oklahoma State moved him around in the slot a little bit, but. He's primarily going to be a right side dominant outside wide receiver, which is okay. It's fine. He has to be very, very good at it. Um, he, he offers some at the line of scrimmage, not a ton, but it's the that stuff we can clean up. It's the stuff we can't teach at the catch point and the in air acrobatics. It's the timing of the you know the back shoulder stuff too. If we're talking about a guy that would, I've I think a ton of receivers are going to fit well with Aaron Rodgers. Talking about a guy that would fit well with Aaron Rodgers too. 
Tyler Wallace. You're talking, a, he's a timing wide receiver. It's what he is. He's going to be a guy, you know, if you underthrow him, it's fine. Go, he'll go up and get it. But if you, you know, if you can execute the back shoulder, some of those timing outs, I mean, he's a guy that can succeed there. Uh, I, I love Tylen Wallace. I mean, I am really obnoxiously high on Tylen Wallace because he's one of those underrated players we're not talking about because of the ACL. If he would have came out and didn't tear his ACL, came out last year, if he would have came out, he would have been probably an early second-round player, I would say. I'd say most had an early second-round, mid-second-round grade on him. Um, I think that's pretty fair. But I think he's he could be a number-one target in NFL offense, whereas, we'll say it again, 2-2 Atwell, Kadarius Tony. That's not going to happen. They are chess pieces uh, that might help, you know, the I guess the flow of an NFL offense open things up underneath, but they're not the guy like Wallace and Marshall can be. Yeah, the, the conversation in terms of these wide receivers, I, I love the what we're getting into here and, and talking about just skill of the players, you know, in, in terms of not just like one – trait like the speed component which we were talking about before and you you bring up tylen wallace and and you know makes me think of last year how great last year's class was already and think about the skill players that chose to go back to school right like tylen wallace could have came out last year and Najee harris could have came out and travis <laughs> ethian could have came out like you know like it, it's re- it's remarkable and and devonta smith who we've already talked about like all four of those guys would have been top 50 picks last year all go back to school, you know, and, and God, uh, God bless them. They stayed healthy, you know, cause I questioned all of their decisions at the time, you know, in terms of besides Tyler Wallace, you kind of understood it a little bit in terms of his situation, but with the other three guys, you know, it was, it was suspect at the time and, and it, it panned out for just about all of them. Uh, any other wide receivers that we haven't really dug into a little bit, you know, guys, I'll run off a couple names. And if you want to pick out any that, that intrigue you, you know, we, we mentioned them before, but you know, Monroe St. Brown, we haven't really, uh, you know, dug into it all. Uh, some of the, the smaller guys, I don't know if you've had, uh, you know, put through your grading system yet. Like guys like Dwayne Eskridge or Kate Johnson from Western Michigan, South Dakota state to Marion Terry is a guy that really fascinates me. And to me, Florida state has just sapped his draft stock so low that I think he's there's not even such a thing as sleepers anymore because there's such great coverage in so many different places year round. But to Marion Terry feels like a sleeper to me. Like he feels like a guy that, you know, Florida state killed his value, but if he played somewhere else, I think he'd be going in the top 50 picks in the draft potentially, Uh, you know, and, and, and then I'll throw a couple other guys out there. Shai Smith from South Carolina, Mm -hmm. Deami Brown from UNC. So he kind of threw out a bunch of names there and and pick a, pick one or two of those guys that maybe you want to share some thoughts on. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, uh, Demi Brown's a really interesting one because I think he's going to be a vertical option. um, in the NFL offense right away. Uh, he's one of those guys who's going to line up on the outside. I don't think, I don't know right now if he has the capability to play inside, but not that that really matters, but he's going to be the field stretcher. He's not, he doesn't have, he's not, he's not a burner, but he's a really good separator. Uh, I I like how he plays the game and I like how he can beat defensive backs vertically, um, with tack, which is awesome. Um, I think he's a top 50 pick. I think he's going to be, uh, you know, probably in the early second round ish. Um, for a team that needs that, you know, that vertical threat. Um, he's a solid player. I, I like what he can do down the field. I think that's his, I think that's his home. 
Um, but then we talk about Tamari on Terry. I traded up in one of my in one of my Devi drafts to get Tamari on Terry last year. I love Tamari on Terry. I am just like I am on, you know, guys like Tom Wallace. I'm obnoxiously high on <laughs> Tamari on Terry because guy he he's ran over 23 miles an hour. He played at, you know, 6'2, 6'3, 210, 215 pounds. But he was grossly underutilized and if he played at, you know if he played at Alabama he would have he'd be a first round pick he was a Blitnikoff like preseason like finalist basically so it's like he's a guy that you know college football had a ton of positive thoughts on but he had a pretty math pro day um you know it bad bad or like bad football at Florida State but he's going to be a guy who's probably going to fall into the day three mix. And a team could possibly hit a home run with Tamari on Terry because he's, you know, he's a physical football player. I think he has the, 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 the movement tools and the capabilities as a pure mover to be a number one option someday. I think people don't credit enough. Phenomenal decelerators, decelerators, height and weight. I think that's a big one. Great after the catch. Uh, obviously, the concentration drops, and that's kind of a, the biggest question mark with him. And along with, you know, he has a little bit of an injury history, and then um, you know the off the field stuff that people are kind of talking about as well. But he's going to be a day three guy, so he kind of falls into that sleeper territory. But he's not really a sleeper because he was a you know Bolitnikov preseason finalist. So he's a guy that should be a lot higher than he will be. But he probably won't even be in the. He might not even be in the top hundred picks. Yeah, I, I, I feel, you know, I feel like if we would have, you know, if the NFL draft would have happened before the season started, I don't think he gets out of the first 50 picks. Like, 100%, yeah. You know, because you look at him and he really does profile as an outside, you know, number one style X wide receiver in the mold of like a Kenny Galladay style player, give or take. And I actually hadn't even seen his pro day results that do you know did he run did he run the 40 did he so but the thing that kind of caught me off guard is he's listed at six four he okay. looks all of six four too he looks he looks like long like good build he's like six two two oh seven i was okay. kind of shocked right i was like i, I thought he was at least six because you know it came out before the season he was you know he got up to six four two fifteen i'm like okay that's solid yeah, six two two oh seven ran the four fours. I was like, like that sucks. Like that's if you're doing a pro day and you're like, I mean, he projected to run in the low four threes, high four twos. He ran twenty three miles an hour in the field of play for crying out loud. Tyreek Hill didn't. I think he ran twenty three point seven two miles an hour. Tyreek Hill has never ran that in the field of play. Never. I mean. Granny Tariq Hill probably hasn't, he hasn't needed to. So right, he doesn't need to yet. So, I mean, that's kind of the big deal there. But Tamar Ontario is Jets. I mean, that man has some some wheels for his size. But, man, that's such a – I mean, I was pissed when I saw the Premier <laughs> results. I was, I was actually a little bit happy, too, because I'm like, you know, I have Tamar Ontario in a lot of places in fantasy. So, I'm like, all right, I'm going to – you know, I'm just going to hang on him in the back pocket real quick. So, but, man, it's – at first draft stock, it sucks. I mean, I thought he was going to be at least be a day two guy. That's probably not going to happen anymore. 
Yeah, it, it sure seems like he's probably headed towards day three. But I, man, it's he's a he's a guy that if you know my favorite NFL team, like you know, and anybody's favorite NFL team, you hear his name on day three, you should kind of pique your interest a little bit. Your ears should kind of perk up a little bit because I do think he is, is a guy that could really surprise. Listen, it's not, and I like him more than this guy I'm going to bring up. But I kind of feel like the same thing kind of happened with Donovan Peoples-Jones in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Donovan Peoples-Jones was a really talented kid, and he did make some plays for Cleveland. And I'm kind of keeping, I'm kind of keeping the, you know, the porch light on, and and think that maybe you know he's got a shot to materialize there in that offense down the line. But he's another guy that I think Michigan just kind of sapped it all out of him, and he was a guy who everyone thought. From when he stepped foot onto you know college football, this is a guy who's going in the first round or two, hands down, hundred percent. Yeah, and then you know I think they got him in the fifth round last year, and it was like this could be that could be a repeat this year for Tamarian Terry, and it kind of stinks because you know whether we want to believe it or not, draft capital matters in terms of mm-hmm. how long these. You know, it matters in terms of how long these guys' leash is and whether or not they even get an opportunity, right? You get drafted in the first or second round, you know you're getting an opportunity probably to be a starter, you know, for a period of time. You get drafted on day three, your chance may, you know, may never come. It just may not ever come, you know, and it's not just football. This is all sports. This is basketball. You go, you know, you're UDFA in basketball, you know, you know, you might never get a chance. I mean, you know, you know, we see athletes in all different sports who eventually maybe get an opportunity, but they bounce around for a long time just because of their draft stock and draft capital. So, you know, it, it matters. So I hope he, at least if he goes on day three, I hope he goes in round four because there will be a lot of good wide receivers that end up falling on, you know, into day three. So I hope he goes in round four. So he has some decent draft capital. I hope it's a team that looks at him and says, yeah, we had a, we had a round three grade on them. We got him in round four or the very beginning of round five. And he gets a real chance because I, I do think he's a guy who could surprise Matt. Any thoughts on, on Terry or any, anybody else we've been talking about? No, I mean, I, I 100% agree with you guys on Tamari and Terry, and, and I love the Donovan Peoples-Jones kind of story arc. I, I think that's a very realistic, you know, way that he could end up, you know, panning out at the next level. And, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing to take away from the discussion that you guys had just earlier is, is again, it, it, it requires this idea that, you know, it really depends upon what opportunities, where you land, where it's going. I mean, it's more than just what you did in college. Obviously, we all know that, but you know, the landing spot, the type of offensive coordinator, the types of schemes that you're in, everything collectively matters. And that can't be said enough, enough, and enough. Because I think that what we hope is is that we think that athleticism will trump everything. And the reality is, is that most athletes never really use their max athleticism on the field of play. Right. They never really use it all. I mean, if you get a guy in a, in, on a track and have them run their fastest sprint time, you can, you can tell me this for sure, right? I mean, Brian, I mean, like, you're never hitting that top speed. You're very rarely on the field of play ever touching that. No, it's, that's kind of a unique part about American football as a sport is it, you are never usually – you know, at top end speed during a game. Ever. I, think about it. If you're like an NFL running back, I could select a handful of times a year that these guys are at top end speed, maybe like three, four. If you're lucky and if you've, you know, if you have a great offensive line, five, but not a lot. So we kind of, we, 
and we don't evaluate top end speed properly, in my opinion, as well, is we run a 40-yard dash. That is a test of acceleration, not top end speed. Um, these guys are, you know, some of the best athletes in the entire world with their with their size and their height. I mean, you're not you're accelerating. Like you are accelerating through 25, 30, like 35 yards. You're not hitting top end speed until 50, 55 yards. So it's not a true test of like, quote unquote, like top end speed. It's, it's a test of accelerative qualities. And I I like to use zero to 10 to kind of test, you know, what we quote unquote burst. We say that a lot. Um, That's a good test of that. But it, to your point, we don't use it, it's how we blend speed. That's what we do in the field of play. We are never, it's football is a non linear sport. We are, you know, it is lateral. You're running laterally, linear. It, it's, it's everything is a blend of itself. There is no true um, set AB path, right? We're creating that path in the field of play, and that path looks different every single time we step into our environment. And football as an ecosystem is ever changing. So like if I'm on a track and I'm running a track meet, the finish line looks the same. You know, it might be a different venue. Finish line's white, says finish. I'm, you know, I'm running through the tape. I know what it looks like, right? Starter has a gun. I go when the gun goes off. Football's different, man. You, you, there's, there's a thinking, feeling, highly intelligent human being across from you and 11 of them, right? So that's where we kind of get mixed up in athleticism. Does it mean something? Yeah, you have to have a, you know, you have to have a level of athleticism to play professional football or any professional sport in that matter. But it's not as we we don't glorify like we glorify it too much. It's it's more so the technical the tactical technical aspects of the game of how we can use our own physical qualities to our advantage. And to the opponent's disadvantage, sometimes too. It's you know, like we like we make a guy take a false step, and then if we go for four, four, three, five guys is playing corner, he false steps on a four, four, five guy. That four, four, five guy, you know, might blow by him and score a touchdown on a double move, you know. And but that that's kind of how the game works. But it's not always this, this linear, you know this linear realm that we think it is. It, it's so much more of a blend of lateral linear, you know, you're taking hits, you're spinning off guys and you're trying to get downfield. Um, you know, it's played in pads, not in, you know, it's not played in what I ran in. That's for sure. So uh, it, it's interesting to see people, you know, talk about it and, you know, being in the other side of it, being on the track side, man, I can never play football. Are you kidding me? Like there's no chance like, yeah, I ran 10 to 700 meters. Zero percent chance I could play professional football. Zero. Speed doesn't matter that. Like, that, that's the thing is, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I, I would get my ass kicked. A. B, I don't have the intuition to decision make at that level at all. So that's what people, I think, sometimes when they say, oh, man, he ran a fast 40. My dog, like. Come on, like I I did that. Like I didn't. Like I I suck. Like you know, like, I'm that's not. I'm, I'm not going to be a high end NFL caliber player just because I'm fast. Man, I wish I'd be a millionaire, man. <laughs> like if I was able to be fast and just get paid for being fast, I would have millions of dollars. 
Usain Bolt would have went from the Olympics right to the NFL. 100%. You would have just lined him up on the outside and just had him run go routes the entire tried, game. People man. People <laughs> tried. You know, Justin Gatlin entertained it. You know, there's so many guys that have tried to do it but have failed because that's not them. Tyreek Hill is the outlier of all outliers in that regard where he was an Olympic caliber track and field athlete and, you know, isn't top of the top shelf NFL wide receiver, Marquise Goodwin, Olympic long jumper, you know, Raheem Mostert, who, you know, I've had the blessing to compete against multiple times. And he's a, you know, he's a really good running back in his own right. But man, like it's so few far in between that these guys who have such astounding capabilities in terms of, you know, being an accelerator and and at, at max velocity can really impact the field of play. Like, you know, some of these other guys do. Yeah, it, it, it really it really is fascinating. And listen, I know I always was a fan of the spectacle that was the Combine, but also I took it as an opportunity just to, A, talk prospects, B, kind of look for some things that stood out that maybe broke some ties in terms of two guys that had identical grades, you know, maybe sent me back to the film to – figure out whether or not any of that speed or athleticism showed up and somehow I missed it in the games that I watched, you know, so I missed that there's no combine, but I do, it is nice to not have the swarm of the combine takes that mm-hmm. come from the combine. Like when Calvin Ridley just wasn't good at football and Matt and I had to, you know, scream from the hilltop. He's still really good, guys. Don't worry that, you know, his vertical jump or his broad jump weren't that good, you know, and and we had to fight that battle. And every year there's always some guys that I feel like, you know, Matt and I are taking a stand on after people overreact to something at the Combine. So it is. it has been nice to not have that. Uh, that out there as well, but I, I still feel like there's stuff out there. The Devonta Smith weight and BMI stuff it just literally drives me up a wall. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. You're right. Speed is, is just one component. If people who could run really fast were all in the NFL, there'd be a lot more players in the NFL because there's a lot of people who can run really fast. It takes a lot of skill and, and talent to, you know, to be a highly productive NFL player. To before we close out the night, because we want to, I know Matt, and I want to give you an opportunity to kind of share what you're working on over there at your website that that Matt and I uh, are extremely impressed by. Any wide receiver that we did not mention by name tonight that you have had eyes on that maybe is a guy that you're really intrigued with that just didn't come up in the list of guys that we talked about. Is there anybody left that, you know, maybe, maybe another sleeper flyer, you know, that we didn't talk about tonight that, that piques your interest. Is there anybody that you want to bring up? Yeah, I think, um, I guess too, we talked about Amon Ross St. Brown a bit. But he's kind of in that same vein, I think, of Amari Rogers, where these are going to be good NFL players, right? They're they're going to they're going to be an offensive coordinator's dream in terms of they're going to be in the right spot at the right time. They're they're fundamentally sound players who block well, who you know who are you know, catch well. They do after the catch, ton of effort, physicality. That's them, and I think Amon Ross St. Brown's going to be a good pro for a long time. Um, I really like his game and his physicality and what he does. Same with Amari Rogers, but the other guy is Demetric Felton. Um, 
the reason probably didn't talk about him, he's, he's kind of that tweener. You know, we don't know if he's going to be a running back in the NFL or a wide receiver. He, you know, at the Pro Bowl, he was running routes to wide receivers. I'm sorry, uh, the, um, um, where was he? Was, where was it? In Mobile? Was it Mobile this year? Yeah, yeah, in Mobile, he was with yeah. the wide receivers. And I didn't yeah, bring him up because I, I still keep having him. I haven't made this the full switch yet on my on my uh, tiers and rankings that I'm looking at as we're bringing up names. I still got him on the running back. So I'm really, yeah, glad, exactly. I'm, I'm cool. really glad that you brought him up uh, as a guy because I think most people now have kind of shifted him over to the wide receiver board and the wide receiver rankings. And to me – He's very intriguing, almost on a level of like a Curtis Samuel style yeah. player. Or I've, I've come to him all year, Naheem Hines, if he's still going to be mm-hmm. in the backfield. Uh, so I'm really glad you brought him up. So continue. Yeah, no, I, I think it was at the senior bowl. My apologies. But yeah, at the senior bowl, I think it was, you know, he's, he's running with the wide receivers. He looked great, right? He looked very natural at it. So he's a guy I'm definitely looking at. And Curtis Samuel is a great comparison to him in terms of where he might be lining up in terms of his versatility. Um, where is he? Where he might be getting his touches from as well? But yeah, he's definitely a guy I have my eye on um, in the draft because they're you know positional versatility is huge in the NFL nowadays. And there's a ton of positionless playmakers, and he might be one of them as well. So I mean, you've been so gracious with your time, and as we kind of begin to kind of close out tonight, Brandon. I mean, listen, tell us a little bit about Angelo Fantasy and the website that you're working on because. Paul will tell you, I, I've, I, we and him have had many conversations where we absolutely literally wrote poetry about your website in terms of the overall – no, and I mean this. It is one of the most thorough, um, the most forward-thinking outlines and websites that I've seen out there in terms of the content that you're weaving together. You, you really have held nothing back. You're blending video with um with you know kind of commentary and explanations but then you're even weaving in the audio podcast and the audio along with it which i think gives a a very rich kind of multi-sensory kind of you know explanation of a player in so many different lenses i mean we can't say enough great things about how incredible we think the content is and the level of content I, I, I just wanted I just I needed to say that. And also I just wanted you to kind of start right there and just share with everybody else what's going on. No, but no, I really appreciate that, man. I mean, it's it's been a long time coming with the website and kind of thinking of how I want to put my ideas together and how I also want to display them. You know, and that's the biggest thing is it's fun to have all these great ideas, but you know, putting pen to paper is one thing, but you know, when you're designing a website by yourself and you know, you're looking at these things and learning how to do it and learning, you know, all this stuff. I mean, I'm not a web designer, but I mean, I try to learn the fly as best I could and try to make it look as unique as I could as well um, and try to make it feel like me. And so from like a player evaluation standpoint, like, man, I mean, I work in sport human performance, as you know. So a lot of it's me looking at players as like a holistic blend of human locomotion decision making. That's what this is, right? That's what the NFL is. And so that's how I look at players and I'm a visual learner, which is why I have a lot of the, the, the video clips on the site and the GIFs, because that's how I learn, you know, and that's how when I teach and I practice and I talk to athletes and coaches, that's how I help them learn as well. Because um, for me, that, that's the best vehicle for me to get the most out of, you know, my own learning experience. So that's what I like to do is I, I like to teach and I like to talk about, you know, how these guys can separate themselves from a very tight knit pack. I mean, this is a very 
exclusive group of athletes that are coming into the NFL. So how do they separate themselves from one another is what I really dive into. Um, I try to use my grading system to kind of use both film and, you know, data analysis um, to kind of make a holistic grading system, you know, by saying, hey, is this a gold jacket caliber player, like a guy like Kyle Pitts, or is this like a above average NFL starter, potentially like a guy like David Montgomery? So it, it, it's kind of like that where it's, you know, kind of weaving, like you said, just so many different types of thing and, and putting it in the, in the one. Um, but it's been a ton of fun doing it, man. I'm just really excited to can keep it going and, and talk about these players and, and keep the Y series going, which is the main part of the website, just talking about these guys, how they fit in the NFL, what they do well, what can they work on, and how is an NFL GM going to see them? Oftentimes we, we take – too much of the bad of a player, but don't talk enough about the good. All I've heard about Devonta Smith is the BMI and the size. I have not once heard about how he's been the most successful wide receiver against press coverage since 2016. From a yards per route run standpoint, best wide receiver in press coverage. You think of a guy like him be flying down the road if he got hit with press coverage with his size, but that's not the case. So we're, we're looking at very different things. When we're talking about these guys' prospects, what they do well, how is an NFL GM, how are the scouts going to see these guys and evaluate them, and how do they fit in today's game? The, each year, the game changes, right? The game is ever-changing. You have some throwback players in this class like Javante Williams, right? Who was, who, man, in 2005, that dog would be a top eight pick, right? I mean, that, that's how it would be. Um, you have a guy like Najee Harris is, who's sort of this unicorn at the position in terms of his his height, weight, and his you know how well he moves um, in terms of like economy, in terms of what he does from a dramatic movement standpoint. I mean, that, that guy is – I could talk for days about what he can do on the field of play. So it's looking at all these guys and, and also can kind of compare them to one another and saying, hey, this is how an NFL – general manager scouts might see these guys fitting in NFL offense. This is where they'd fit best. You know, a guy like Travis Etienne is best in a wide zone scheme. You know, I mean, people are like, man, I love him in Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, that might be not the best fit, right? So it's looking at where these guys fit, what they do well, um, and talking about what their ceiling is as NFL players is, is what the website is truly about. And obviously, you know, it's called Angelo Fantasy for a reason. I'm, you know, I'm a big nerd into fantasy football too. So a lot of it gives it that spin is, you know, as well as, as, Hey, this is where you can kind of land these guys in rookie drafts this is kind of where you might get some value here of these players. Like LaVisca Chenault was my big one last year of man, like banging the table. Like, man, LaVisca is could potentially be the alpha of the Jaguars offense is a guy you should probably take in the second round of your rookie drafts. And so it kind of blends all that together and, you know, ties it up in a nice, neat bow. And uh, it's been a ton of fun to do. And uh, I appreciate you guys giving me the time and opportunity to talk about it and chop it up with you guys as well. Absolutely. And what what I think Matt and I really love and appreciate is there's so much straight fantasy analysis out there, right? Like, and the attention and the focus, like it, it, it makes Matt and I sometimes like our skin boil, like, you know, when people are just like, oh, he's an RB2 and there's no really explanation. And there's, you know, like, and what we've tried to do here at Saturday Sunday is we tie into fantasy, you know, at times and Devi and, and dynasty rookies and stuff like that. But it, it's really the why. It's really the evaluation of a player. And I don't think there's a lot of people who are doing the level of evaluation that that you're doing for your site 
into and then tying it into fantasy, right? There are people there's a lot of people looking at depth charts and, and looking at statistics and and making rankings for fantasy like that. But you know, while you're while it's fantasy related. It's also a lot of film evaluation. And that's where there's still that, that a little bit of a disconnect for some, for some people in terms of the fantasy community, in terms of putting in that film, the time and effort into the film watching to get your takes, your own takes to then tie that in the fantasy where I think a lot of people in the fantasy world really just look at the numbers sometimes and aren't doing that film evaluation. So I know Matt and I, you know, cause that's our bread and butter here, just doing film eval, you know, that's something that, you know, ever since we started talking to you, uh, it's, it's something that, you know, we're all cut from the same cloth and it's always, it's always fun when we have conversations, you know, either on the public, you know, space on Twitter or in DMS or stuff like that, because I do think we, we see the game similarly in terms of evaluations and stuff like that. So it's always fun. I'm so glad we finally got to get you on the show. Like Matt said, to start the show, it's been a long time coming. Uh, so thank you so much for being on you talked a little bit about the website please let our audience know uh exactly the the quickest way to get to the website uh uh, your twitter handle how to follow you on twitter or anything else uh you have that you want to share sure uh, first and foremost man thanks again i mean i'm i'm so glad you guys brought me on uh like you said it's been a long time come paul and matt so thank you guys again i truly appreciate the opportunity to to chop it up with you guys and you guys are both both guys i look up to in, in the community as well in terms of how how you guys watch film and, and how in-depth you evaluate these prospects. It, it, it's awesome to see in the work you guys have put out. And I listen to your podcast like every week, which is kind of hilarious. Um, but I truly enjoy it. And I've, I've got you know some of my own friends who listen to it as well because that's the stuff I enjoy. I'm a big nerd. So I, I, love, the, I love to talk about it and love, the, love to listen to it from, from two guys who really know their stuff. Um, but for me, man, you can find me, you know, um, on Twitter at Angelo underscore fantasy or Angelo FF. Um, my website is angeloanalysis.com. Um, you can find my stuff on, you know, the prospects of this year's class, you know, guys like Kyle Pitts, um, Devonta Smith, um, Najee Harris, ETN. There's about six of them up there right now. Um, working on Tyler Wallace's. It should be done hopefully by mid next week. Um, but those will keep going up each week um, as the NFL draft draws closer. And then I'll be talking a little bit about the 22 and 23 class. Uh, as well, and kind of that Devi landscape, what it will look like in the next few years. Um, guys like Tank Bigsby, you know, Keishon Bouti, um, some of those guys who are going to be heavy hitters in the you know the next couple of years. But um, but man, th- thanks again. I really appreciate it, man. It's been a ton of fun. Absolutely, Matt. Any parting thoughts? No, I I, I got to tell you is if you if you haven't had a chance to get acquainted with Angel Analysis and the website that he's put up. I, I really think you'd be well, well, well served to just go and just kind of sniff around because if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, right, Brandon, I mean you have some you have some free content right now, some things that are available, people can can look at that. And I, I think that absolutely is exactly where people need to go and check things out. So again, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on as well. So on behalf of myself, Paul, and of course Angelo Fantasy, Mr. Brandon himself, thank you guys so much. And please, please kind of join us next time as we continue this kind of deep dive with all of our favorite guests out there as we begin to unpack this upcoming NFL draft class. So again, thank you so much. And please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.